if you haven't listened to part one of this two-part technology series with Eric Johnson from IHS Market and JOC, make sure to go and check out letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 24. Welcome to Let's Talk Supply Chain. My name is Sarah Barnes-Humphrey, and each week I bring you the top supply chain professionals in the industry. You will learn about best practices, new innovation, and most up-to-date information about supply chain. I believe that collaboration is the future of business, and I have designed this show to ensure you have all the information you need to succeed in business and in your supply chain. First, a word from our sponsor, Border Buddy. More and more companies are looking to expand their reach in the global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. Border Buddy sees the struggle and has created a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce shopping cart, like Shopify, Magento, eBay, and others, allowing you ease and peace of mind when selling to customers in North America. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from your door to theirs in real time. We're the first API-based custom solution. Just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at borderbuddy.com forward slash Let's Talk Supply Chain. Hello and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. I'm going to get right into it because my episode with Eric, so that was season two dash episode 24, ended up being a two-part series because we had so much to talk about in the innovation space, the technology space, and a lot to cover for shippers um, to really get a good understanding of what they're looking at at technology. You know, how do you get through the noise? How do you cut through the noise? What Questions should you be asking new providers, new companies that you're you're taking a look at their solution to really help streamline things and create some more operational efficiency. So this is part two of my interview with Eric from IHS Market, which is also JOC. He's the technology expert over at JOC. So I hope that you enjoy the second part of this series and remember to send me your supply chain stories, whether they're funny, uh, whether they show success, whether they're inspirational, motivational. This show is put on by a supply chain professional. That's me for supply chain professionals. I want to feature you. I want to make sure that we learn from each other. So please send me your stories, send me your reviews, and I will feature you on the show. So let's get started. Here's part two. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of things to consider here. I mean, first of all, be realistic, yes. right? Because a lot of a lot of these companies do have very big visions. Um, make sure that they have the industry experience um, yes. behind them especially on the C-suite side, because they can have the big visions. But in this industry right now, you need to know the industry to make sure that your system is workable and, like you said, scalable. Um, I also think that it's really important for them to understand and know their business. So, you know, what are... What are the, the areas that you can actually automate now or, or maybe implement a system that will, you know, reduce and, and increase operational efficiency, you know, sort of reduce that cost? And but also what is the future of 
the company and who is the target market of the technology company that you're looking to work with. Um, because if they, they need to know who their target market and you need to know that maybe you're the target market now, you might not be in a couple of years. And so what is your plan for that? And what, what are you going to do? Because you can start off with somebody. I mean, some of them are only, you know, monthly fees. There's, there's subscription fee. Yeah. You know, so that's easy to sort of maneuver in and out depending on what, what type of system and, and what type of gap that's covering. Um, so I think there's, there's a few things to really, and make sure that you ask the hard questions, you know, go in there knowing your company and go in there and ask the hard questions and make sure that they can answer them. Yeah, that's all great advice. You know, one point I would sort of, uh, talk a little bit more about that you just made is I always theorized that because of the nature of software right now, the, the, the subscription, pay-as-you-go, um, cloud-based implementations, general, generally a much shorter, less painful cycle, both in terms of cost and also just getting the system going, then people are, you know, who've been in the business a long time are historically you know, accustomed to. However, I've had a few people who I really trust tell me it's even as you're, you know, kind of dipping your toes in these things, it's still very difficult to like say, well, I'm going to try this system for six months or a year and then I'll switch to this other system. It's a lot of change. It also kind of sends a signal to your company that you're not, you know, you're kind of like blowing in the wind a little bit. So while I would say, I would phrase it this way, the mistakes the potential mistakes of choosing the wrong system are much less painful with SaaS and cloud-based systems. So you shouldn't be afraid to junk, you know, don't be afraid of getting rid of the sunk cost. Um, if it's just not working for you, like you would, you just have to live with it. If it was an on-premise thing that you spent three years building and spent a million dollars on. Um, but I also would caution against the idea that you're going to go in with this and like, you know, sample five different flavors of frozen yogurt before you like the one you get the one that you actually like. That's a very difficult thing to, to actually do in practice. So, yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think that goes back to, you know, having that person um, that's taking a look at the new innovation, researching it and different things like that. But I also want to say, you know, moving into the future, if you don't try it, how are you going to know as well? Yep. So there's sort of a balance between that, you know? No, you're absolutely right. And that's, I mean, I'm sure my readers of mine are probably tired of telling me like, stop, as I said earlier, stop sitting on the sidelines. Like at some point you just have to, you, you have to make an informed decision on one of these things. And for me, the, like the worst case scenario is it's, it's like half as productive as you thought it was going to be, or half as, the gains in productivity or, or cost reductions are going to be half what they what you thought they were going to be. For most companies, looking at advanced systems today, it you know, it, there's going to be benefits. The question is whether the benefits are you know astronomical or just sort of average. And it, so you're absolutely right. Like you need to get proficiency, especially if you've not worked with kind of current software in the last five to ten years. There's a there's also a benefit to just getting proficient with the way systems work now, and maybe you know maybe you have a two or three year contract, and you know 
on the third year, you know exactly what to look for because you know exactly what didn't work in these past two, three years. Yeah. And, and there's really no other way to learn. So um, let's get into sort of the gaps in supply chain. So what are we seeing in the gaps in supply chain that no tech company is working on currently? I know for shippers, visibility is a really big one. I think there's a few companies sort of working on that. So I don't know if if that's really a gap in tech. Um, but so what, what are you kind of seeing? Yeah, I, I would say visibility is not necessarily a gap that there are no tech companies working at. I think it's an elusive problem to solve. And um, we haven't really seen anyone... You know, comprehensively solve it, but I, you know, I, I would say there's probably legitimately between three PLs and software companies, there's legitimately like a few hundred companies, if not a thousand companies, that are working on visibility. Maybe even more. I may be like wildly underestimating. That is not a that is not an area that is short on uh, development. Um, so I, gaps. Where, that no one is working on. It seems hard for me to say with all of the companies out there that there are actually any gaps that aren't being addressed. Addressed effectively is probably a different question. Um, but, you know, like maybe five years ago, we were looking specifically in visibility and we were looking at like where companies saw the gaps in visibility. And one of the ones was drayage. Um, so, you know, moving moving containers from... Uh, to and from sort of near port locations uh, to the port or from the port to those those near port locations where they're either moved along or broken down and consolidated with other freight. Um, so it's these short-haul trucking movements in and out of the port. That was historically a blind spot for the industry. Um, it was It was a... It's like a, it was like a low margin area. The drivers weren't paid very well. Shippers didn't want to pay for it. Carriers viewed it as a burden to kind of have to deal with it, um, whether they were you know contracting it for the shippers or using like an in-house drayage provider. Um, but then all of a sudden, in, I would say in the last two years, we've seen a swirl of activity around drayage technology. So there's you know three or four companies off the top of my head. Um, that are doing really interesting things around either giving better visibility or helping shippers um, organize their, uh, or sorry, helping terminals and carriers organize the, the stowage of containers and vessels and then organize the stacks of containers in the terminal so that they're, so the drayage is more efficient and giving them tech to help them do that. So, it's hard for me to say with the you know hundreds and thousands. I mean, I, I'm currently right now in India, and I have I've come across probably 15 logistics technology companies in the two or three weeks that I've been here that I've either reached out to or have reached out to me that are doing interesting things. So this is like this is a phenomenon that is not restricted to certain geographical areas. It is literally everywhere in the world: Africa, Europe, East Asia, Southeast Asia. South Asia, um, South America, and obviously in, in North America. So it, I would have to think long and hard about where there's a gap. And if there is a gap, it's probably something that I'm not thinking about and that some technology company is probably right now out there is experienced and is thinking about. I, I'd be interested to know what, what you think some gaps are in technology that aren't being addressed. 
Well, for me, I mean, for, I'm not really in a, in a shipper's seat. Um, but, you know, I think there's just a lot of innovation out there. Um, it's hard to really get through the noise um, because yeah. there is a lot of noise. There's a lot of talk about different things, including uh, including the blockchain part of it. Yeah. Um, and it's hard to really get your head around everything that's out there. And I think part of the the problem and maybe, or the challenge, or maybe the gap that I'm seeing is just the collaboration piece. Yes. Um, I think that there are too many people doing too many different things and not working together. And I think that that's the way the industry has been for a long time. It's been very siloed. That is the mentality of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think there's really anybody out there yet <laughs> that's looking at it from a collaboration standpoint, from uh, an industry as a whole, and really what is going to benefit the shippers, right? It's, it's Right now, it just seems to be all about, you know, how can we do blockchain better or let's eliminate the freight forwarders or, you know, so many different things that have been ingrained for so long that I really don't think is just going to happen overnight. And so how do we work with the different players as it is right now so that it's not a huge, you know, change that people have to get their minds around, but how do we work together right now in the way that it works right now to move everybody forward together. Um, and there's a big gap between the, you know, the big companies and the SMEs. Um, yeah. And I think that the SMEs is also a space where there's a bit of a gap. So yeah, that's, that, that's absolutely true. You're, you're absolutely right. And you see a lot of the, t- the startups addressing the SME end of the spectrum because those companies have not been sold to, they've, they've not been sold to by three PLs. Um, Traditionally, they've not been sold to uh, by software companies that want you know big, big ticket sales. They have long sales cycles. They don't want to do. So you're absolutely right. I think a lot of the technology gaps exist around market segments rather than specific areas within the supply chain that are not being addressed. So that that's very true. And I agree with you on the collaboration. In fact, I. I had some thoughts later that I wanted to share on collaboration. So I'm um, happy, well, we'll happy to talk more about that, that. When we talk about blockchain, because I have, I have an interesting point that I've been waiting to make. So, right. um, so before we get into blockchain, I got one more question and I know we've talked about um, sort of the innovation that supply chain professionals, leaders should be looking at. But I'm interested to find out from your standpoint what technologies shippers are spending their, the most time on right now and what they're most excited about. Because we can talk about what we think that they should be looking at, but I'd like to know from, you know, from your standpoint and talking to shippers, what are they looking at now? What are they most excited about? Oh, boy, this is probably going to seem like a really um, lame answer. But honestly, I think most of them are most excited about getting off of spreadsheets and making a ton of phone calls. So, I mean, (laughs) you know, it's I write about tech. I'm talking to the most enterprising companies out there. I get introduced to, you know, shippers that are, you know, sort of the the Mensa type uh, in terms of their their usage of tech. 
but a lot of times I, when I talk to a shipper and sometimes it's a huge shipper, they're talking about getting a TMS or they're talking about a big EDI initiative that they have. And it's, you know, it's, yeah, I had, uh, I had Jim and Rhonda in, you know, focusing 30 hours a week on doing X data entry process and, or calling carriers to find out where my cargo is. I, although that's a little bit less now, but you get my drift. There is just still so much wastage of time and so little investment in what I would even call basic tools that I think honestly, that's what is, that's going to make the biggest difference. It's only when you layer upon that, some of the things that we've talked about before that you get kind of really transformational stuff. But the biggest thing is just getting out of the starting blocks on a lot of this. And so for me, I feel like they're most excited about like just getting in the game and not like, in fact, I would, I would put it the other way. I think they're a little, you have people who are just naturally excited about technology, but I would say most people are pretty like unnerved about all the stuff they need to be keeping track of. And so it's not very, it's not a very exciting proposition to be doing this. Um, because they know it's it's a lot of work and it's a lot of stuff that's maybe out of their comfort zone. So um, I, that to me is is the biggest thing about collaboration. I think what they should be most excited about is that there are lots of tools out there that are that can kind of enhance collaboration right now. And like anyone who's talked to me for any length of time knows, I'm a big Slack fanboy. And we use Gchat for work, and it, you know the the idea that you wouldn't be on this sort of like same time system to collaborate with people all over the world that you work with seems very strange to me now, having had access to these types of tools. So you're starting to see those things getting infused into like traditional supply chain management tools more and more, and I think that will change the way people think about what you talked about collaboration, um, you know, significantly, and that will make things a lot more exciting. They'll start to see tangible results from interacting with parties like around the world in a much more real time way so that you're avoiding the, that duplication of effort that you talked about and certainly duplication of like multiple instances of data that have to then be reconciled. Yeah, I love what you say about the Excel spreadsheets because that seems to be, you know, something that all the innovators are, are focusing on. Like, how can everybody still be using Excel spreadsheets? And it's kind of, you know, the laugh of the industry. Yep. Um, it's always, the biggest, com- it's always think- the biggest competitor. Every software company says that's my biggest competitor. Yeah, and but I always think that, you know, it's that simple. I think that sometimes with these innovators and the grandiose ideas and things like that, people are taking it to a level of which the shippers just don't have time to, to, to learn about deal with. They want to keep it simple. The shippers want to eliminate an Excel spreadsheet. You know, how do we do that through collaboration? How do we do that through technology? How do we do that for innovation that keeps it easy and simple for shippers? Yep. It's sometimes it's that simple. (laughs) Yes. And I just feel like um, a lot of the companies and innovation out there are sometimes just complicating the matter. Yep. Yep. 
Agreed. You know, and, and really that's at the end of the day, that's what shippers want. So let's get into blockchain. This is the final question. Um, it's a big one. Um, and I think looking at the time, I am most likely going to split this episode into two um, because I like to keep them fairly short for the listeners. So sure. I think that's what we're going to do today. We, we, can, we can do Lord of the Rings and make this into like a four-part you know, saga. Well, I mean, between you and I, I think that we can talk for a long time on this subject. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> But so let's just get into the final question. And this is about blockchain. So, you know, is blockchain really going to make a difference? And I heard something at a conference uh, last week or the week before about, you know, if I create a blockchain and you create a blockchain and somebody else creates a blockchain, what really is the point of blockchain? Yes. And I thought that it was a very profound statement because it really goes into what we've talked about before as far as collaboration, but it also um, brings to the forefront the mindset that's always been in the logistics industry specifically. Um, I don't know about supply chain as a whole, but if everyone is working on their own version, we're not collaborating for an industry standard. Is this really going to make a difference or is everybody just getting all wound up and excited for nothing? I think you've hit upon the question that is the most important question at this moment with regards to blockchain. And I, I don't know if you've been feeling it, but I feel like the, the honeymoon period of blockchain is sort of over. And now we're in the uh, fighting over who's doing the dishes part of blockchain. Um and, and a lot of this comes down to let's, let's give these terms the, some names because the, you, people are probably going to hear some names regarding what you just mentioned where, you know, individual blockchains being kind of developed. You hear it described as either public or private blockchain, or sometimes you hear it described as permissioned and permissionless blockchain. So I think there's a huge issue right now with, um, people understanding the value of blockchain and not understanding the difference between those two things. So people, I think whenever I, I've been at a, on a panel or attending a panel and sitting next to someone who's, who's wanting to learn about blockchain, they have a very rude, usually they have a very rudimentary understanding of what blockchain is. And they go and hear about all of the wonderful benefits that are potentially there with blockchain but they don't have the, the sort of baseline understanding of what a private versus a public blockchain means. So the, the true blockchain advocates, the ones who see sort of a future out there that we cannot, that the bulk of us cannot see um, based on blockchain everything, would argue that things have to be public, that the benefit of this tool is that you have a decentralized kind of uh, entity that is not governed, quote unquote, by anybody. It's governed by everybody. And it, it fosters that collaboration that you were talking about. It provides trust to parties that um, you wouldn't, it, sorry, it, yes, it provides trust to parties that ordinarily wouldn't have earned that trust in the traditional sense. Um, 
how, but all the sort of news and slow trickle of around blockchain have, have essentially all been around private blockchains, which is blockchains that are set up for by one company to be used by another set of companies and their partners and their sorry, web of partners, whether it's logistics vendors, uh, carriers, uh, the suppliers they work with, um, other third parties, regulatory agencies, all those things. So there is a disconnect between what people who are trying to get their arms around what blockchain means uh, and these solutions that they are being told are out there. There's a disconnect between how they get from their, you know, that lack of understanding point to, you know, actually realizing some of those things that are out there. I have come around to this belief that, like you said, a whole bunch of individual private blockchains might be of some value in that they have some inherent value just from their structure and the way they're encrypted. Um, within that, that smaller network, there may be some value that is, that is absent from like a cloud-based network platform that is out there right now. But to get that's an expensive proposition to basically rebuild a, a slightly different replica of what's already out there. That I don't think that's what the people who are truly advocates of blockchain are envisioning. Yet, if you talk about what blockchain really means, um, that doesn't necessarily overlap neatly with what logistics is. Um, yes, there's a lot of partners that are in very disparate locations and sometimes partners that you don't know very well and you need a, a vehicle to help you trust them more and, and to make sure that there's no funny business going on and um, to, you know, that everyone is a single system that everybody is collaborating on. That's all great. But um, you as a shipper or you as a, even as a 3PL, you don't necessarily want this public kind of database that a lot of people have access to to provide data that is either wrong or extraneous or totally irrelevant or uh, you know potentially damaging um, so this is all kind of like very theoretical right now but um, there's there there needs to be this sort of big reckoning around what the ultimate value of blockchain and logistics is because right now everyone has set up their businesses to be a, you know, a hub with the shipper in the middle and all of the service, all the partners that service them or supply them or buy from them around the outside. And if you are talking about like a true public blockchain, permissionless blockchain, that is, that's a different like graphic and our shippers going to be happy working in an environment where they don't kind of control things in the same way. And then, you know, more broadly, like who, who builds that platform? Is it, um, you know, is it a private entity? Is it a government entity? Um, will a private entity be able to sell their, this public blockchain they've built to a company that's competitive with them? Um, will everyone sort of sit and wait until there's a neutral platform that they all believe in and are willing to work with? 
Um, and then, you know, if there is a neutral platform that gets developed, whether it's by a government or whether it's by a private entity, how does that work across borders you, where you have different regulatory regimes and you have, you know, different ways of doing business. And so, you know, there's been pilots that have gotten around these issues, but the question is like scale. Do you have, is it scalable and, and have you built it in such a way that everyone can, can participate without it being a replica of an existing program, existing piece of software that's just encrypted a little bit more tightly. Sorry, that was a very long-winded answer, but hopefully that addressed your question. No, no, it was no, no, it was great. But I mean, I have I have a few comments there. Okay. I mean, so the companies that are doing the block are they just getting on the blockchain bandwagon? You know, and are is it just to benefit their company, or do they really have shippers in mind? Is my first thing, and my second thing is if shippers have to be on different blockchains. Um, because otherwise their choice is siloed, <laughs> then does it just not bring us back to where we started? So I guess yeah. my, in defense and, and, and sort of, you know, being the advocate for the shipper, <laughs> what is it really going to do for me? So first question, absolutely. Yes. There's, there are companies that are just putting blockchain into press releases and I'm sure having conversations with customers saying, yeah, absolutely. We're working on blockchain uh, without having like a clear vision of what that actually means to the shipper. Um, on the other hand, there are definitely companies both either blockchain, you know, oriented or blockchain or where blockchain adjacent, I, I, if I'm coining a term here, uh, you know, companies that have some sort of piece of software and in an interaction with um, a, a shipper already and are building a legitimate blockchain solution that will benefit the shipper. So I, I, I don't want to lump every company into a single bucket. Um, but yeah, there is a lot of hype. And I think there's also sort of a, a feeling amongst technology providers that they have to have something cooking when it comes to blockchain and that's fine. Like, I think it's fine for those companies to keep it, you know, kind of in stealth that whatever they're working on. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't, but you're right. It, I mean, you, it should always be done with the shipper or if you're a company selling, you know, software to freight forwarders, what does it mean to forwarders? It may mean a lot more to forwarders than it long-term than it does to shippers. When, in terms of your second question, like if I, is that, am, am I as a shipper going to be asked to join 10 different blockchains and how do I, you know, practically manage that? That is an interesting topic unto itself. And, and if we as an industry, if the market, I should say, decides that siloed individual private blockchains um, and private doesn't necessarily mean, need to mean one company and its partners. It could be in, it could mean like a federation of different companies. Like maybe it's a, maybe it's a blockchain that's based on a specific vertical. Um, or maybe it's a blockchain based on a specific region with certain characteristics, like, like trade compliance characteristics where it makes sense to have like a U.S. blockchain for X. Um, but if that's how it evolves, then I could foresee a situation where you have like a blockchain abstraction layer or a, you know, like a hub that a, a shipper could plug into that 
kind of evens out or homogenizes all the different blockchains they're being asked to participate in. So there's just like a single window that they enter data in that looks and feels the same for all of those different blockchains that they have to submit to or pull data from. Or if they're the ones in control of it um, and they don't want to develop it themselves or they don't want to pay to develop a new you know, one for themselves, uh, you know, again, go to this abstraction layer um, or hub that would make that a single interface for them to use and then spit out the data to the different blockchains in such a way that it you know, makes sense. And the other thing I've heard a lot recently about is um, sort of blockchain being the key to a, to broader, like non-blockchain solutions. So in other words, you don't need to blockchain everything. Maybe you blockchain, maybe you provide a public blockchain that's permissionless to access a certain database that um, is not a blockchain um, or I'm, I'm getting way past my like self awarded degree in blockchain right now. I, I'm, I, I, I don't know how these things work structurally. I'm just sort of telling you what I, some of the things that, that people do know about it tell me. So there, there's different ways to think about like how we might be using a blockchain in the future. And one of them, as I just mentioned is not blockchaining absolutely everything, but blockchaining kind of your, your admission to a database that you, you ordinarily wouldn't get access to. So, so that's, I think part of like establishing trust in a system that um, is not, is sometimes absent right now. So I guess what we're saying is that the jury is still out. Blockchain is a bit of a wild, wild west. And <laughs> if you're going to talk to companies that are pushing the blockchain, just to, to maybe take a step back and, and just sort of see where this, this whole thing is going. It's absolutely the wild, wild west. We, didn't, we just talked for however many minutes about it and didn't even bring up uh, tokens or crypto you know, things. And I'm not, even, I'm not talking about Bitcoin. I'm talking about like industry or, or usage-specific tokens that are associated with public blockchains that you know, kind of make that whole system go. Um, so things that where you're incentivized to use a, a public blockchain by using the associated token. Um, and maybe that's another, that, that's that maybe another up, episode. <laughs> yeah. That brings up a whole nother host because I honestly don't think that our industry is really ready for payment in, in cryptocurrency. No, just I don't yet. Either. I don't but either. what that also does is adds another layer of currency several layers of currency because if you are going to be on the different ones and they are using different coins um it's just that's so i you know i almost think that maybe we're making it a lot more complicated than we are making it we are but you know the, it, it speaks to how many different companies are trying to like get in on this conversation because they, they obviously see an opportunity and that's why it's hard to believe that all of this will amount to nothing given the amount of companies that are it's pretty smart people that are you know, involved in this. It's just how it shakes out. And, you know, the, the token thing is another conversation, but I will say it doesn't necessarily need to be a replacement for, for like what we view as currency right now. A token is a representation of value more than it is 
uh, you know, representation of monetary value. So like back to my data point, if your data is worth something, maybe you can tokenize a piece of data that is valuable within this blockchain solution that you want to participate in. And your entry into this, into this blockchain is by providing a piece of data that no one else provides. And in return, you get uh, a different piece of data or you get a service or you get money. So th- these are the kind of like next level things that are, you know, blockchain advocates or evangelists would talk about um, that we're, we're sort of, we're trying to think of uses for this within the constraints of what we're used to doing rather than just like kind of, you know, hovering in air with doing an ohm and thinking about what, it, what could happen. So um, that's, that's sort of like the next level stuff and it's all intertwined and it's all extremely confusing and it is the wild west. And I would just caution people to read as much as they can about it because you're not going to probably get it on the first read and you're not going to get it on the fifth read and maybe maybe a light bulb will go off at some point um but it's we're nowhere near the finish line that's for sure right 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 or maybe hire hire an expert that uh yes that knows what they're doing and talking about to sort of sift through some of that noise but anyways that is a wrap i mean i think like eric said we could chat about this topic all day and it would turn into something like a four-part series but so remember to connect with eric on linkedin plus i have some of the upcoming joc events on my website and in my newsletter i will have more information about eric and this episode at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash season two dash episode 24 and it looks like it's going to be episode 25 as well so make sure that you check it out because this is definitely going to be a two-part series thank you so much for coming on the show eric oh sarah thank you so much for having me i loved it uh love to do it again If you liked this episode, be sure to go to the website, letstalksupplychain.com and check out some of the technology companies I have interviewed in the past, including Chris Lee from Logistical Labs. That's in season two dash episode two. We've got Martin and Brian from MP Objects. That's season one dash episode 61 and sustainability technology with Stefan from RVM, and that is season one dash episode 60. Next week, Scott Nelson of Sweetbridge is here to show us more about how to use data and the biggest impacts to supply chain today. Sweetbridge has been named the most innovative innovative use of blockchain for 2018. So you're definitely not going to want to miss that episode. Here are a few ways to support myself and support the show. If you are drowning in a sea of acronyms, pick up my 107 page supply chain dictionary. And that's at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash shop. And if you haven't already heard or you haven't already signed up, go to ships.com, that's S-H-I-P-Z.com, and sign up to be one of the first to know what my team and I are working on. It's getting even more exciting as we start the development, and we've got some really good brands on board for that beta. So this is going, we are going to be reaching out really soon to those of you that have signed up. Now, I am going to be starting a listener's corner at the beginning of every show, and that's going to to include some of the supply chain stories you've sent, some of the supply chain stories that you're going to send. Remember, everybody can learn from 
all of the little stories to the big stories that you have, a small victory, a funny story, or even some way that you've been able to overcome a challenge in supply chain. This is this show is by a supply chain professional for supply chain professionals, and we want to learn from each other. So make sure to send me your supply chain story. But what I'm also doing is I'm taking questions. So send me your supply chain questions. I am going to send them out to the experts that have been on the show and that will be on the show. And I'm going to feature that question plus the answers that I get back from those experts so we can all learn from that as well. So make sure you send me those. It's listener at letstalksupplychain.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you for supporting the show. I hope you have an amazing, amazing day. And remember, everybody, ship happens. 